Hello and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Mind, Body and Heart community, previously called Link Stories. You are listening to your host, Malini Shah. The well-being pillars which we are covering in today's episode are many, but primarily we're looking at grief, emotions around grief, parenting and public health safety. According to a recent report covered by BBC Panorama, 38 people have been killed on smart motorways since the past five years. Smart motorways do not have a hard shoulder and drivers who break down can be trapped in the speeding traffic. Very, very dangerous and risky. Mira Naran sadly lost her beloved son, Dev, in a fatal car accident on a smart motorway. She worked with senior transport ministers to help make significant changes to motorway safety policies over the past two years. This story is the second of a two-part episode of Mira's story, whereby she has managed to turn immense grief into empowerment and positive change for herself and other motorway users. One thing I learned from this episode is that grief does not go away when it involves your own child but you can make certain conscious choices to live in a different sort of life for yourself and your family and others around you. I hope you find this episode insightful and inspiring. This podcast is supporting My Solution Wellbeing and a mental health charity called Our Solutions, both based in Leicester. Thank you for tuning in today. Mira, thank you so much for joining me today for the second part of Grief to Empowerment. Your story is really very unusual and very heartbreaking. And I had several people that messaged me to let me know how moved they were by your story that was published last week. We're going to talk about how you dealt with the aftermath of losing your son, Dev, very sadly, who was extremely fit, healthy, super intelligent. He was your friend and suddenly he passed away in a road accident. Really tragic because all your life you had mentally prepared yourself potentially face this sort of trauma with your older son who had been diagnosed with a terrible brain condition and then they were both in hospital at the same time. Mira, how did you deal with the aftermath of this tragedy? Um, I cannot say it was easy at all. I fell apart um, entirely. There was, um, I didn't have an ounce of energy at that point to keep going. Um, as you said, you know, my, I lost my best friend, my son, my everything. And to endure that, um, it was literally any mother's worst nightmare to go through that. It took so much time and energy and strength and I just had to keep going. I had to keep going, but, you know, I accepted that it would take me a long time because, you know, it was a loss, loss of my baby, loss of my mm. child. And I, I accepted that I was going to have bad days and I wasn't going to feel okay. And I would say for the first year, I wasn't myself at all. I, you know, couldn't even get out of bed most days. Um, I couldn't do regular, regular things like cooking or leaving the house or anything like that. And 
I just accepted that and I just kept going. I, I had to keep pushing and I can't deny the fact that I was at points of giving up. I really was um, because it was so difficult. I didn't know where to pull the strength from and how to do it. And there isn't some manual in grief you can just look in on and, and say that, right, that's the way I need to, to go forward. Um, so unfortunately, you're learning along the way. I think it was in that deepest, darkest moment of giving up that um, I had to make a choice. Yeah, because you had another son to look after and uh, a fa yeah, a family to make sure they were okay. And did you have much support through this difficult period? Um, yeah, my husband, my, my sisters, um, my immediate family were absolutely amazing and really supportive. They were all around us. Um, unfortunately, Neil was in and out of hospital um, for around five months following um, this incident. And it was it was really difficult because my husband was in hospital with him and mm. I was at home. So yeah. it was um, it was really tough. But yes, I did have um, some really, a beautiful support system at the time, Great. which really, really did help. Yeah. I mean, I recall from having read one of your blogs that you have been able to make some tremendous uh, contributions to policies around road safety following the very sad death of Dev. Um, how did this come about? What drove you to to make contact with senior members in Parliament and be influential in these sort of changes? Would you be able to give a little bit? Of yeah, I mean, I didn't really set out with a plan, um, but my own one and only aim was to make roads safer for everyone else. And that just kept me going um, throughout the whole process. All I all I wanted was that the roads were safer and that everybody knew what they were. I had um, a few journalists approach me and I wasn't quite sure whether to engage or not. I was I was still grieving and I thought, right, I have to do something and maybe this is the way. So that's what I did. And um, I have to really applaud the media. They really supported me hugely throughout the campaign, giving me a voice and allowing me to share my story, which was absolutely amazing. And I think from there, it just, um, I think, you know, the more research that we did and the more research that I found, there were very particular things that I wanted changing. Yeah, so I obviously reached out to um, the government and the Department of Transport and um, we went from there. So that's really quite refreshing to hear that you say that the media was really supportive um, in your journey of going through bereavement because they are heavily criticised usually for doing the opposite. I think in this particular case, I'm not sure whether it was a story or what it was about it, but I had really, I had a really positive response throughout. Um, I had really positive engagement and everybody was very, very kind, um, respectful and treated my story with dignity. And I was very, very grateful. That's really powerful. And the bereavement grieving process, is it something that is ongoing? Does it diminish and then return? Um, how, what did the process feel like for you in terms of days that were really hard and the days where you felt yourself? And how long did that carry on for? Um, it still continues to today. Um, I can't say that um, I have fully healed. I will, um, I will never heal, but I've accepted that because I've lost my son and he will forever not be mm. here with me while I'm here. So um, 
what I have learned is that I can live alongside it. So I can still be happy, but I will never reach that 100% of happiness. And that's okay for me. I'm okay with that. Because for me, I can reach 93% and still have him in my heart and still allow myself to grieve and still allow myself to, to have him with me at all times. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not reaching my full 100% potential because that last 7% is him. It's, right. you know, he inspires me every day still. He still gives me the strength. He still gives me the power to keep going on. Yeah. And so I really do believe that, you know, you don't have to fully match the world's expectations of being happy 100%. Sure. Um, you can still be at a different percentage and uh -huh. fulfill your, your fullest capabilities. Um, and right. I really do stand by that entirely. That's so interesting to hear it and put in that sort of way. And how many years has it been since? It's been two years. So it's still very fresh and raw. Two years is not very long at all. And for you to have sprung back to where you are is quite a phenomenal thing. And you've got a daughter now as well, who's nine months. So I suppose that new energy is there to help you, you know, get out of bed and, you know, carry on with daily life. And absolutely it's it's i think it's it, it is a new energy it's it's a different energy um mm. in the house um i wouldn't say that um i am completely the person i was before i'm not um, right. i'm definitely a different version of myself um of course it, it took a long time for me to even be able to look in the mirror and accept that this was me and accept this different version of myself and sure. still Still till today, if I'm having a bad day, I will just do very basic things that I need to do for my children and for myself. I won't kind of push myself because I know I'm not having a good day. But I'm also very, um, I think I've learned along the way is I need to communicate about how I feel. Yeah. Because I think it's grief is very isolating. You know, it's very difficult to portray how you're feeling to another person. Because if you look strong, you may mm. come across as, oh, yeah, you're doing absolutely fine. But mm. inside, you may be crumbling. So I'm very vocal and I'll, you know, at the beginning of the day, I'll say, oh, guys, I'm not having a good day. Please, you know, just bear with me for, for today. And, and that day I will give as much time to myself as I need um, and self-care as I need as well, um, whilst looking after both my children with, with all my heart. So, yeah, it's about accepting that balance. It's a very thin thin line that you dance across in grief I guess with reality yeah. it's very it's, a, it's very much parallel and it's a difficult dance and it's difficult to learn to live with but it's a powerful one it's a powerful one to be able to accept that and live yeah. with that alongside and to recognize in yourself and to be able to speak out and share and communicate those feelings to other people that's not an easy thing to do and the fact that you're able to do that comfortably now and you know draw a line when you know when you need space and time for yourself as well it's only two years it's still really really raw in my view that's not a very long time to have dealt with grief like yours but you've been able to make some amazing contributions for uh, to other people who are dealing with this sort of situation um you've written a book you've you know really try to help yourself and empower yourself through the things that you've been working on. And one of the things we've just mentioned is road safety and the policy changes 
that you were able to make via senior ministers in parliament. What did that process look like? How long was it to lobby to make those fundamental, critical, crucial changes for people, safety on our motorways? What happened? Can you give a little bit of insight into what happened to motorways for this terrible incident to have happened? What changes were made by government? Um, So they've died on a smart motorway. And um, the particular type of motorway that um, that he died on was called dynamic motorway, where the hard shoulder was being um, used as a live lane as well. Um, and so when I kind of researched into um, the different types of motorways, I, I realised very quickly there's three types of motorways that are being used um, currently around the UK. There are some parts which still have the hard shoulder. Um, there are some, some parts which are only all lane running motorways. And there are some parts which are these dynamic motorways. Mm. So it took a lot of research and kind of looking into past policies. And um, I also very quickly realised there were other campaigns going on around the country um, to make some changes. But for me, I was very focused in raising awareness. That was my primary concern, because for me, I just didn't accept that everybody knew what a smart motorway was. No, I certainly didn't. Yeah, so it was with the help of the media and, um, you know, the AA, I worked with the AA very closely with with the president, um, Edmund King, and we worked towards kind of raising this awareness and um, we went on, on quite a few interviews together as well. And for me, it was about some very, very particular changes with technology and how the roads were um my main concern was the um, how far the emergency refuge um, areas were from each other um, and if people could find a place to pull over should they need. So yeah. I kind of I made a list which yeah. I I wanted to make the changes in and I proposed them to to the government and I said that you know this this is my list and I would really I would really hope that you could um, accept these and they and they did they accepted 18 out of the 19 policy changes that I put across That's and phenomenal. extra measures and others yeah I was I was really 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 hoping and praying for all of them to be accepted but um 18 changes is is a huge ask huge um, yes so so to get all of them accepted, I was really, really, you know, proud. But the, the campaign didn't stop there. There's, there's still work going on in the background. Um, and there's lots and lots of things that need to be worked on um, retrospectively. But I'm, you know, that, that goal for me at that point of what I had set out to achieve, I had reached at that. And it was in March this year, early this year, just before Mother's Day. And for me, it was a small Mother's Day gift from there, from Aww. wherever he was. Aww. And it was a really emotional outcome. Congratulations. That is really quite amazing. 18 out of 19 changes made for road safety and users that use these dynamic motorways as well. And would you better share a little bit about the sort of changes? There's a a review that's been um, published. So all of them are available on there. But the two main ones, we're looking at the technology and um, making sure that the detection system was um, appropriate and um, valid to detect any kind of issues and stoppages on the motorway. And the other main one was obviously bringing the emergency refuges closer together so that vehicle and drivers could stop very quickly should they need to and we changed them i think at one point there there were some that were over 1.5 miles apart but we campaigned for them to be a lot closer so they would um every 60 seconds you'd be able to see an emergency refuge 
areas for you to pull into, which are a lot safer because they're, they have um, a significant amount of space once mm. you pull into it between yourself and then the running lane. Yeah. So I felt that was really important. Obviously, bearing in mind, I've, I'd never done any road safety research before this. This was very new to me. And very quickly, you know, whilst going through all of these roads, looking at the safety aspects, looking at technology. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I pulled together. And those were the two really, really main ones for me. So something so tragic led to you doing something so positive for others. For me, it was about making sure that nobody else lost their dev, mm. um, nobody else lost their child in that situation. I always believe that we should always keep improving yes. and re-evaluating and processing and I guess uh, revisiting what we already have. So if we do have technology and we can make it better than we should. So sure. it's always a continuous process. So um, for me, it was about just making sure that everyone else didn't go through what we did and just making everyone else aware. So, yeah, that was my passion at the time. And that just kept me going and, and really driving me through, which really helped. And, and mm. I honestly do believe that they were supporting me all the way through. Oh. So, yes, it was a very surreal um, experience. Mm. Um, it was difficult because I was obviously grieving. Um, but also my daughter was, I think my first interview started three weeks before I was due and then my second radio interview was three days before she was born so it was a really intense time for the first five months and obviously having a newborn is is um, difficult in itself it's incredible late nights and feeding so yeah yeah it was, a, it was a hard juggling and balancing act but it it really helped me stay focused and yeah. dedicated to the cause and as I said my my dedication continues in the background I have changes still that I want to help with and mm. do so yes I'm just going to keep going with being a road safety campaigner <laughs> great role that you've taken on there and how challenging with you know going through bereavement having a new more born baby and then being able to make these significant changes at such a high level as well you're a really incredible person Mira um, and well done to you massive pat on the back for making those things happen Furthermore, you have written your own book and it's called Mimi, Mother of Warriors. I like the name. It's a, where does it come from um, and what is it about? So obviously my, my name is Mira, um, but I've never, um, obviously at home, I, my nickname was, was Mimi. So um, that just felt really appropriate. It's what the kids would uh, call me when they were teasing me or oh. you know, just having a bit of fun. We were, we were having a laugh. So, um, and then Mother of Warriors is because my children are warriors, um, all three of them. Neil still, you know, fights his battles every day and he still keeps going. They've, you know, incredibly did so much in his eight years. He just kept going, kept pushing, supporting us with meals, being incredible at school um, and just being this, you know, bundle of sunshine for us um, and just being so optimistic and, and taking everything on the chin and also just, just giving his heart to everything. So, you know, he was just so inspiring in himself. And obviously, my daughter has to be a warrior too if, his, if her brothers are. So yeah, yeah and if her mum um, is as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just honestly, I I don't think for me it's just it's about my children and everything is about them. The book is is two kind of reasons. Um, one is obviously there is um, a huge story of Dev and the background of him, and also for it's it's I guess a memory for my daughter in the future. Yeah. Should she ever want to revisit and see kind of how we have got to where we have? 
Um, so she could have that um, as a memory to look back to. And would it be useful for anyone who, I mean, what you've just shared sounds really beautiful, a really nice thing to document, tough thing to document as well. Would it be useful for anyone who's been through bereavement, is going through bereavement to have a look at that book? Is it... Um, focusing on losing I suppose it would be focusing on losing a child so what it is like for a mum to be going through that and all that do you talk about all the emotions and hurdles and challenges on a day-to-day basis yeah so basically when obviously when I lost Deb I kept looking to different books and podcasts or um, anything really to give me some inspiration give me some hope to give me kind of just some help to get through And whilst, you know, there there are a lot of books that are very supportive, for me, what I realised is that grief is not just the loss of a child. Grief can be through anything. You could, you know, you could have, you could go through grief when you've gone through a divorce, um, financial Mm -hmm. loss, anything, anything really, a promotion. And people do go through this this short space of grief and it's a really difficult hurdle to, to go across and to overcome. And for me, it was about giving hope to anybody who has been through grief in in any aspect or any dimension of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about showing that there is the love is in yourself, and you have to look for it in yourself. It's about empowering who you are as a person and deciding where you want to go to in the future and who you want to be. And that's kind of where my passion for the book came from, and what drove me through it. It's about you know, breaking down to your lowest, but then yeah. you, we look to others for the help and we look to others for um, any sort of, I don't know, inspiration, but it's actually within us. It's within who we are. It's within who we've grown up with. It's within our dreams and desires and goals and fu- and the future that we want. So obviously my future completely shattered and I had to rebuild my entire future. And I decided that I had to do it in my own way. But along the way, it was about building myself, building my capabilities of dealing with different triggers and dealing with my PTSD, my anxiety, my depression, um, and accepting the different kind of dimensions of those, um, but then also allowing me to be me yeah. and focusing on that going forward. So, yes, it's all about hope, empowering, self-love and overcoming like traumas and tragedies that we face through life every day and they're so difficult because we don't really discuss this when we're growing up we don't really no. talk about how we're going to overcome a, a tragic moment or, or a trauma mm. in the future you just don't um, anticipate it and exactly you, you're um, going through something like that you just don't anticipate it do you yeah so this is about you know that in my story there's obviously a series of tragedies that that we face um and at each time you know there is that moment where you want to give up but then you have to keep rebuilding and reevaluating and just keep going. And it doesn't. And every day that you conquer is yeah. a step towards peace. It's really beautifully put. Sure. Have dealt with it. Really good advice you're sharing to others as well. Just as you say, bereavement or grief rather comes in so many different forms and shapes. In your last episode, you talked about this really beautiful relationship that had 
forged between your son Neil and Dev and how Dev was very much a carer for Neil, looked after him, helped him put his shoes on and did lots of really nice things with him and they were best of buddies. Um, Neil must miss him every single day like yourself. Do you encourage him to talk about his emotions? Is he quite open about it? How is he dealing with this loss two years on? Um, so unfortunately, the grief really did um, impact Neil in a very, very negative way. Um, he stopped um, walking overall, and he also stopped communicating as well verbally um, over oh. time. So that was really difficult, and um, he just withdrew um, and, and did just his smile just disappeared, and it was so difficult um, to see that as a mum. But yeah. you know, we never gave up. We just kept kept going and kept giving him space and time and love and you know there was a point where we couldn't even say Dev's name around him because he would just react so bless him you know so it was so difficult to see mm. and so we had to kind of do it in different forms and obviously he needed counseling and and love just as we do as adults um yeah. but obviously his his process was very different to ours so i think for him it was time it was love it was reassurance we're de dedicated to each other um yeah and we just keep going and giving each other yeah. inspiration i'm really love. sorry to hear that he's regressed with all the things that you had been working on with his walking and speech and things like that but fingers crossed you know he that he makes improvements with all those cognitive things and he comes out of that place as well sad to hear that impact that's had it did it did but you know we didn't give up we still we still still kept trying um through this lockdown i've been doing a lot of um intensive therapy with him and just working mm. on him myself with a lot of dedication and effort mm. and he he you know he's actually managed to take some steps by himself Oh, so great. it's it's amazing we have worked really hard towards that so oh. yeah i mean it is it is sad that he's not at the level of what he used to be i can i can never give up and i never will yeah and, and he, you know, he'll get there <laughs> we'll, we'll just keep trying yeah, yeah. yeah. oh Mira, thank you so much for you know sharing your journey in the aftermath of everything that's happened to you, what you've endured. And you're, you've got an amazing Instagram following as well. And you're actually helping other people through their grief now as well. Is that right? Through your Instagram following? Yes. Yeah. I, um, so I've got my Instagram page that obviously I, I do talk about the loss of my son. I talk about um, my relationship with Neil. Um, and yes, it's about grief and loss, but I always have positivity and optimism in there as well because that's just mm. who I am. And, you know, it's about still giving hope and it's about still having hope and having that um, that little bit of fire in yourself to keep going. And, yeah. yes, it's just – it's turned into my passion and, you know, I refuse to let let it get me down and, and stop me from doing anything else. So, yes, it's been, it's been amazing and the response has been amazing. I get lots and lots of messages every day. Um, with, with people sharing that it's helped them in different ways. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. It really is. Good for you. Lovely, really lovely story. Your own book, all the changes you've made at senior government level for road safety um, and motorway safety to help lives of other people and the support you're able to give other people going through grief and bereavement. You're really a remarkable lady. Well done to you. And thank you so much for coming on this podcast to share your story. 
thank you so much and thank you so much for having me no problem at all Mira all the best with your family and your baby girl and Neil and all the things that you want to do in life all the very best 